Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. And also featuring Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie. Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. Like, get up, go there, set that up, have the meeting, come home, deal with uh, taking all the stuff apart down, and then dash down to the rally and dash back here. We got podcasts, and then I'm stage managing the show tonight. So, Holy <laughs> crap. I guess I'm not the only one that has a, has a day like that. Because then as soon as we finish podcasting, Bonnie and I are going in the kitchen to cook. What are you cooking for? Um, Dylan's girlfriend, Olivia, graduates with a bachelor's degree from OSU today. Good for her. So now instead of having Ron's famous pizza, we'll be having tequila lime chicken and brats. brats. That sounds good. Brats. Brats. So yes. Well, it would awesome. pair well with both dishes, I think. Yes. Very good. Do you notice how she said that fancily? That would pair better. Air well, well, but yeah. dishes. That was impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I figured today we would uh, we would talk about the elephant in the room, which is the possibility of Roe overturning. That this is going to run three weeks late. So by the time this actually airs, it, it could be gone. It could be completely gone. We're not going down without a fight, though. There was a big yeah. there was a big rally here in Oklahoma City, and I think that was the the full U.S. one, because Pat, you said you went. Yeah, Casper had there. Yeah, we own. had a, had a had a couple hundred people in Casper, Wyoming. Yay! Honestly, I feel rather badly for the people in my town because I don't know. It's very much everybody is religious and goes to church, and I feel bad that everyone thinks that they have to overturn Roe v. Wade to be a good religious person. You know, as far it, as I'm concerned, it's almost a separation of church and state. It is. That is, is exactly is what this is about. The thing that I find most reprehensible about people who think that they need to ban something like this is that there are so many situations in which the mother maybe isn't necessarily in in imminent danger of death but i mean how horrible would it be to have to carry a dead baby to term because you can't get a dnc and it happens all the fucking time they well, and i think what they we're forgetting dnc for a dead fetus no well actually Dude, crazy Pat, did you see their oklahoma guy who was I don't know if he was like a state senator That's, or what. There are so many of them here. He's like, but he was talking in like a, I don't know, group setting, mm -hmm. and they were recording it. And he was asking, he's looking at the bill or whatever they're proposing, and he's looking it over, and he's like, "Wait a minute, what about this ectopic pregnancy? Why aren't we concerned with these babies?" And they're like, "Well, they grow outside of the uterus, and." they'll die eventually and he's like are we saying that that's not a life and i'm like you know that an ectopic pregnancy will kill a woman yeah yeah and he's like so 
I mean, he was literally like, they don't understand. Oh, they're all men. (laughs) I, I I tell you, and they're not very educated men. If they don't understand just the basic, just, I shouldn't say that I'm a woman. And that's why I know what an ectopic pregnancy is. If you were a man, I guess you wouldn't have to know, but I know Mr. Keith knows because I asked. Don't go, don't go on record saying whether or not something should fit the bill unless you know what it is. If you right. don't know what it is, if you don't understand the process of how it works when you have an ectopic pregnancy, at some point the baby know. will die just because there won't be room. I just thought it was interesting that but he said it in the way that he knew what it was, but he was like asking like, "Okay, is this not a life?" And they were like, "Well, I mean, so here's under another your question. description, yes. The bill does not give an option for a baby that will kill the mother." Like whether it's not here, not in Oklahoma or no, but the baby can't live outside of the mother. So it's going to die with the mother. So what's so instead you're taking two lives instead of just one. And I have an example of this because when my sister was pregnant with her first baby, she had morning sickness so bad that she couldn't even keep water down. I seriously had to take her to the hospital once a week for IV fluids. And I asked the doctors about it. I'm like, she's not getting any nutrition. She's not eating anything. So what's going to happen? And they're like, oh, women have babies all the time. It'll be fine. She'll get over it, blah, blah, blah. Well, she ended up so sick in the hospital. For one thing, they thought she was uh, mentally retarded because her potassium was so low that she couldn't speak or even hold her head up. And then the doctors were talking about maybe aborting the baby because it was killing her. But by that time, she was in the second trimester, and that's illegal in Pennsylvania. So they were talking about flying her to Ohio so that she could get treatment so that she wouldn't die. They talked about, they asked me if I want, I was in the same exact boat. Like when I went back to work, finally, it in my second trimester, I went back to work with an IV. Yeah. Like I had a pick line and I had an IV at home all the time. But yeah, they said the same thing. They asked me if it, if I wanted to abort the baby and we, but we had tried for four or five years. So, um, but yeah, I mean, same thing. I mean, if I hadn't, I would have, I needed to have that choice because well, and that's the, I, that's it was the whole awful. Thing. And if I hadn't had a support system like I had, and I hadn't had the ability to do all the things, and Mr. Keith wasn't constantly pumping me full of drugs through my IV and stuff, I mean, I would not have been able to carry my son to term. And she yeah. did eventually get over it in the second trimester. And, and I mean, the baby. It's my oldest niece and she's fine. But if you take that option away and the situation doesn't remedy itself, then both the baby and the mother die. There are some. And, and I mean, my son was born really, really small because of, I mean, he was 5'8 full term mm-hmm. because of the malnutrition. And, the, and I was a big girl. If I had been like a slim person with no weight that I could afford to lose, Um, if I didn't have, I was the one who had a job with disability and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had been just a, if I had been working at a job without benefits, my husband was in college at the time. There were a whole bunch of things that 
if I had been in a slightly worse place, that would have needed to have been something that was available to me. Well, and you bring up a really good point in all of this. These are the same people who refuse universal health care. Right. They don't want to help at all once that baby's born. They uh-huh. don't want to help the mother. They don't want to help the baby. They don't want to help the children that they're already trying to raise. It's it, The choice needs to be with the mother. And well, once again, it's it's discriminatory against women because... It takes two people to make a baby, and it's like we're punishing women for getting in a predicament that they can't handle, and yet it's like we don't do anything to the men that had to do anything with it. Uh They never have to worry about Jack. And we're forgetting one of the reasons why abortion became legal in the first place is because, A, the rich, like that dude's daughter, he she's never going to have to worry about it No, because he can pay somebody. And she can go get it done. The Mm -hmm. rich, the people who are making these laws, they're never going to have to worry about because they'll be able to have it done if they need to. And they have support systems and the ability. You got a girl who works at Walmart. She maybe doesn't have a family. She's single. So, of course, you know, if you work at Walmart and it's a part-time job, you don't have health insurance. You don't make hardly anything. If she's going to have a baby... She's going to have to take time off of work, but she can't because she's got... She doesn't get paid. She doesn't get paid enough yeah. enough money to support herself, let alone a, a child. And if she can't make that choice for herself, she will become indigent. And then people... And then people will mock her for it and they'll behave like she's a loser. And the the man who fertilized her egg basically gets off scot-free. Pro-life is such a, a misnomer. They're pro-birth, but they don't want to do anything. Exactly. Yeah, help it's, not, it's not anything to help. I mean, how many people are just going to keep getting abortions, but they're going to get them? Have you seen all the dirty dancing memes that are going around? Yes. I posted yeah. They're one. perfect because yeah. that's exactly what will happen. They'll end up spending money going to somebody who isn't doing it right, and they'll all and will get sick, and they'll many will die i mean that was a good part of the the impetus behind roe in the first place was yeah was the horrors of illegal right because they, it won't they're stop do it. it anyway it won't stop i mean it. no one of the best signs at our rally today was the one that said banning abortions only bans safe abortions that's exactly right yep. i'm waiting for people to start throwing their wire hangers around because Dude, that was a big, like, I I mean, it was before my time, but when I was, uh, when I was 16, I think I read an article in 17 magazine about a girl who did just that because she was scared and she didn't know what to do. And she died. Mm -hmm. Because she perforated her, yeah, her uterus. And I thought, how on earth? I mean, this is healthcare. It's uh, one of the things they're trying to do in Wyoming is legally uh, change the definition of abortion so that it is not considered health care because there is a provision in the state constitution that people have to be afforded health care. Yeah, they're you know not, what's never going to be... following that because like there's no Medicaid or anything else. Yes. But so they're trying to redefine abortion to say it's not health care. You know what's never going to be not that. defined as health care? Getting it up. That's yep. always going to be freaking covered because yep. who's making our laws, having fun things done to it. 
or, you know, like that's never going to be, but the outcome of getting it up <laughs> will well, never be. Well, you know, there, there are so many things that could be done if you really wanted to avoid kids getting pregnant. There's a lot of Give things. Give everybody you... freaking free birth control. Well, here, here's, what, here's what my stuff. suggestion like, is. You put an implant when your child goes through puberty. Well, with girls, this would work. And you oh put God. that five-year no five birth control yeah. thing in their arm or wherever it is in their hip so that they cannot get pregnant. It's not 100% infallible but and there again you're asking people to do stuff to their bodies and that will never fly see the, the, asking people to do stuff to their bodies what are they doing to our bodies well that exactly. doesn't always work too because not everybody can take hormonal birth control true but i right. tried to take hormonal birth control and it was a disaster what about uh vasectomies they're reversible yeah what? but they're not super they're not always reversible but i mean no i totally it's nobody's business what I do in the privacy of my own life. If a and, man and doesn't I'm not, put on... I'm not affecting anybody else. I'm not asking for a handout, so I'm not asking for help. Right. But I goddamn sure will be if you force me to carry a child. If a man doesn't put on a condom and he gets somebody pregnant, I mean, why is that not, I don't know, against the law or whatever? I mean, why is a man not... Why is it all our responsibility? Men can buy condoms just as easily. I will tell you, I am fairly certain that most men, a lot of men, let me not say most men, a lot of men we'll don't not. want to wear it, nope, don't we'll care, and know that nothing's ever going to happen to them. So <laughs> why don't we, if somebody gets pregnant and we say to the guy, were you wear, the guy and the girl, were you wearing a condom? And they both say no, $3,000 fine. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. You know it isn't. I know. For a variety of saying, reasons. That's they as could, ridiculous as what you know, we're talking about. They could lie and say the condom broke, you know? They could they could make up some reason why, I mean, a, a latex allergy. You could go on for days trying to make excuses for men. I, I just, know. that's why I don't understand this argument. I feel like it's a sexist crap argument. Yep. I feel... And think about in, in Canada, remember, remember, actually, I think it was here too, when um, they had those homes for girls who were pregnant and they'd send them off to a home and they'd spend six or eight months in this basically jail for pregnant women. And then they would give birth to the babies that, who were either adopted or if there were too many of them, which happened all the time, they went to an orphanage. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I've read lots of books about that. See, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Going back to the old times has a lot of bad shit associated with it. Oh, yeah. It's just shit. Well, it's the situation. It's the situation because you can carry a baby, you can birth a baby and bring it into this world, but not everybody is cut out to be a mother or a father mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. your child abuse is going to go up your child mortality is going to go up because people are just not they're not going to take care of these kids like they're supposed to or they might not be able to take care of these kids like they're supposed to i mean they might have five more kids at home this might be their sixth kid they have no resources to take care of this kid now, i'm just put, watching half the effort that they put into banning abortions into providing good sex education and easily available birth control 
Well, let me just let me just say this, guys. I am an unlikely advocate for pro-choice because I'm infertile, was infertile at a very young age, found out that I was not able to have a child of my own. And yes, my son is adopted, but it doesn't mean that I look at other people who are able to have children and say, well, you can have children. You should have a child so someone else can have it. It's almost like I feel that, I don't know, people, if they find out that I'm, I was infertile and they hear my argument, somehow it, that makes me even worse because I wasn't able to have a biological child of my own and that I relied on adoption. But wh- another thing I can tell you is, if you are trying to adopt a child, the ringer they put you through is unfucking believable They want to come to your house for nine months and decide, well, first of all, you have to pay $1,000 just to apply. Then they want to come to your house for nine months and decide if you're fit to be a parent. Usually those groups are religious groups. They want to know, they want records of when you go to church. They want to sit and visit with you about church. They want all that information, all that before you are allowed to adopt a child. I got to say, Martha, I think it's even worse now, honestly. I mean, I've had a lot of good friends going through the adoption process. People who are going through the adoption process or even the um, foster care process, not because they don't have children, but because they want to give homes to children like with special needs or, you know, the kind of kids that don't get adopted. And it's it's insanely expensive. Um, It's tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Yes. They have to make they have to make like scrapbooks and they basically have to beg to take care of a child. Right. I, I mean, it's ridiculous, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I can't tell you how many people say that I must not really be a Christian because I have different, because I'm pro-choice. It's hard being a Christian who also says, I'm a Christian and I want to live my life in this certain way. And I mean, no, I would never have an abortion, but I also recognize that there are lots of people who don't think the babies are human beings the second they're conceived. And I mean, who am I to say, you know what? You're wrong because I know everything because I have a Bible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I can, under- I can understand having laws against certain second and third trimester abortions because when I went yeah, that- to school, I had to read about that in my ethics class, like exactly yeah. how they do second and third trimester abortions. And it was horrible. It, it yeah. was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Unless it's like detrimental to the mother's health. I mean, if that baby can live outside of the body, then I don't. Well, and there you it's bring a up. a little bit different. Of time between six weeks and 12 weeks. That's a lot of time that they're getting rid of. I mean, well, six I'm not going to. Like, you, you don't even know you're pregnant until no, you're like exactly. six weeks. Six weeks. is th- That is the most ridiculous timeline I've ever heard of. Yeah. Six weeks is a barely a missed period. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Who's who? I don't know anyone aside from someone on birth control that has a super regular cycle. I really don't. Mm-mm, I don't. I mean, maybe there are people, but I wouldn't know. 
I've never known at six weeks that I was pregnant. <laughs> but well, look, ever. My frustration level <clears throat> with people like, what in the hell is that guy's name that was on the TV the other night? Lindsey Graham was on there and he oh, said, you can man. have an abortion in this country up to the time of birth. Well, first of all, do you know nothing about a female body? If it's time for them to give birth, you can't have an abortion. It's, it's, you, it, it doesn't work that way. None of it works that way. If the baby can't live outside the mother and it, they're that far along, like say, for example, if they have, are missing part of a brain or a heart or something like that and they're only being kept alive by the mother, they actually, she goes through labor. That's how that works. There is no such thing as what he's talking about. And those are the talking points that those people are repeating ad nauseum about babies being aborted at the time of birth. That makes no fucking sense. No. No. And you know, the, the ones, honestly, the ones that make me mad are the people who say, all life is sacred and that's why we need to protect this. And they say it like that is a great American value. As a society, I see very little proof that we consider life to be sacred. <laughs> Agree. We violence. We, we are, you know, if, I mean, if first of all, if they say all life is sacred, it's like you better be protesting just as hard against capital punishment and against the military as you are against abortion. Right on it. And, and try to, you know, try to go out and change everything from the Saturday morning cartoons where little kids learn that you can blow up other beings with impunity to Marvel movies to everything. We don't hold life sacred. We hold violence sacred right. in this country. I we just got goose flesh just now, Pat. <laughs> and and yeah. bullying, because that's all this is, is just it's bullying. It's just bullying, saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what you have to do. But because I don't me. agree with it. And if life was sacred, we would have universal health care and everybody would get yes. the same treatment, whether you're rich or poor. And that does not happen. And it's so frustrating because I see my family going through it. I'm disgusted by all of this. Yeah. But on a lighter note, we got some really cute T-shirts to go to the rally tomorrow. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> We're going to the rally, man. We're um, oh, Oklahoma City is like, having it. You got t-shirts. We did. We did. What are they? What are they? I bought one that has a picture of a uterus on the front, and it says "Mind your own uterus." <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And then my other one says, "If you cut off my re reproductive rights, can I cut off yours?" Nice. <laughs> but we both bought them off of Amazon, so we can put links up. Yep. By the way, just to, make, just like to a throw in a little something book related, what you were talking, you were talking earlier about the the home the homes for unwed mothers. Uh -huh. Yeah. There's, uh, I think we had mentioned on another podcast, Margaret Atwood has a bunch of individual short stories that are being re released through Kindle now. Uh -huh. You can get them for like a buck or two bucks a piece. Uh -huh. I read one a week or two ago. It's called The Stone Mattress, and it's about a woman who is raped as a like a 14 year old gets pregnant is sent off to one of these homes and she has the baby and she choose she's like i'm not going back to that little town where that sent me here and she goes off she she struggles makes her way through you know crap jobs and everything and eventually builds a good life for herself and as she's in her 50s maybe you get the feeling she goes on a cruise and on the same cruise with her is her rapist 
<gasps> he doesn't. He doesn't even remember her. She gives him a chance. She even tells him who she is. Gives him a chance to say anything. I'm sorry. Doesn't he? Doesn't and she murders him on the cruise. She, she gets a, and she gets away with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey. <laughs> Whoa. That's great. I get it. I get wanting to like say, okay, abortion, like you can't have it after 18 weeks. Um, but, and then you can have it whenever, but I mean, you have to be like, Hey, if your life is in danger, if someone raped you, fuck that. I, I hate when people are like, well, that's God's plan. You know what? No, that's some motherfuckers plan because yes. he's an asshole. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've had what? a shit week here. <laughs> Clearly, there should be limits because oh, we right. all saw what happens when it when it doesn't when there are no limits. So if they take away abortion, are they going to take af- uh, the morning after pill away too? Yes, they want to take that too. Oh yeah, because fifty two percent of abortions are the morning after pill. I mean, I've never used it personally, but I know people who rely on it quite a bit, actually. Right? Yeah. Hmm. And we need to look into why that is too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you don't need a prescription for that. No. You need a you, prescription for birth control. No, you can just, yeah, you can just go in and that's probably why some people. That's what I mean. Like, why is it easier to get plan A than it is, or plan B, plan B, than yep. it is to get birth control? That's uh-huh. completely screwed up too. And, he, and they're and probably, we're talking probably about in, taking in other health. states, but here they're, they're trying to make it illegal to get chemical abortion things sent to you you can't get them in the mail you can't the basically the middle of the country is going to be a vast desert of reproductive health care and at the same time we're saying hey kids you can't learn about sex ed in the public schools because you should learn that at home and you know how many people at home aren't teaching it tons because they're the ones that don't want abortions to happen and they think their pretty little kid isn't going to ever have sex yeah this is not a theocracy and I don't want to live in a theocracy. I don't want your religion to determine what the law of the land is. That's like saying, yeah. let's have Sharia law. It's no different. Well, we see yeah. how well that works for other countries. Exactly. Look at the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're going to start being? This is the American Taliban. That's what and they want. And not to mention the fact that I truly, truly think that if Jesus came back tomorrow, the first thing he would say is, what the hell are y'all doing? He might not say it that way. (laughs) He'd be like, what are y'all doing? Remember when I said to love each other? Remember when I said to like be good to each other? Um, Y'all don't do any of that. If Jesus came back tomorrow, we wouldn't have to worry about because they wouldn't let him in the borders. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Because he he's Middle Eastern guy with radical ideas. That's he'd be he'd go right to jail. And he's kidding. He would be considered like a refugee. Yeah. They're nope. These people would turn him away. All these all Christians would turn him away. All right. We've spent 43 minutes ranting. <laughs> so I think now it's time for us to um, try to find some sort of a transition. Happy well, I was, shit. I was trying to do a transition <laughs> talking know. about the shirts, trying to go. Yeah, oh, sorry. Sorry. Let's, let's do the shirts. Okay. So, so we're going to be rocking our really cool shirts during the march which i'm probably sure you will hear about if one of us gets arrested um and you got them on amazon yeah we did 
And I got ones for Dylan and Olivia, too. Dylan says pro-choice AF, and it's pink. Awesome. <laughs> he chose it. I will, Dylan I actually will link looks them really good. on our website. Look good in pink. Other people can buy them. Yes. And there's... That, was, that was something I was real pleased at our march was to see how many young men came out yep. to support. They the know that they yeah. can't afford to have kids. They know it. Mm-hmm. Well, that and if if they know they're not ready, if they love their significant others or is, I don't know, not a complete jerk, maybe they've considered a sister. If you have. Yeah, right, if, a you have sister, a sister, if you have a wife, if you have any like a daughter, a niece, anything. Well, I have the I'm I've got a lawyer's phone number in advance. And, in case you get arrested. And Vonnie and I are going to write the phone numbers on our arms and Sharpie before we go. So we'll be safe and uh, we'll get bailed out of jail. <laughs> that was actually on Facebook this morning. They were talking about, now, don't forget to do this and this and this. If you get arrested, do this. And I'm like, do you really think they're going to arrest a bunch of women? Why not? Peacefully protesting? This is Oklahoma. What the hell was I just well, thinking? See, it starts out peaceful and then stuff happens. And not necessarily from you guys. Yeah. I'll be one of those viral videos. <laughs> Look at Jane Fonda. How often has she been arrested peacefully protesting? True. Right? Well, it, it'll go on my bucket list being arrested because I've never been arrested before. So I guess we'll find out. Me neither. But I don't really want that on my bucket list. Well, neither do I. But cripes, at least it's for a good cause. Anyway, are you ready? Well, we got to hurry this goddamn thing up because I got people coming over. I got to clean my house. <laughs> well, we already picked it up. I know, but I got to cook too. What I really need is a maid. Well, speaking of maids... My book this week is called Carnegie Made by Marie Benedict, and I've read her books before, and I, I do like her writing style, and that's why I chose this book. And it is about an Irish immigrant named Clara Kelly, who is quite poor. She comes to the U.S. trying to find a job opportunity to send money home to her family because her family are farmers and because of her father's views, because he's Protestant and not Catholic, um, they're slowly taking acreages away from him, away from his farm. So it, it's been harder for her family to support themselves. So she goes to America. And when she gets off the boat in America, there's somebody there who's calling her name and looking for her, calling Clara Kelly. And she doesn't know who this person is at all, but they're calling her name. So she's like, okay. So she goes over there and apparently there's another Clara Kelly who was on board the ship who passed away during the voyage of sickness. And that's actually the Clara Kelly that is being called at the port. And she kind of finagles her way into finding out that the Clara Kelly who they're looking for has been hired to be Margaret Carnegie's maid, personal maid. Well, Clara very quickly decides this is better than any job that she could ever get in America. So she takes on the identity of this dead woman so that she can go work as the personal maid to Margaret Carnegie. 
And even though she's poor, her father was very adamant about her getting an education while she was in Ireland. So she's smarter than most people in her class. And she uses that to her advantage to figure out exactly what she's supposed to do as a personal maid because she has no clue when she goes over there. She's been a farmer her whole life. She she doesn't even know what a personal maid is. is. And um, she very quickly figures out the job and connects with the family. Well, then a little bit of a spark happens between the son and Clara. It's a very G-rated. It's a very one on the Megan blush scale. Aw. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just kind of about that and about um, her being this other person, taking on this other identity and still trying to be herself when she goes to see a cousin who lives not very far away from her. This all takes place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Thought about Keith when I was reading it. And just and about her and her secret relationship with Andrew Carnegie. So it, it was pretty interesting. Um, Andrew Carnegie is a real person, so it does have a little bit of historical value. But I would say this is more fiction than historical. <laughs> Because I Carnegie gave us the best library ever. Yes, and it talks about that. And it talks about, it, it kind of gives Clara credit for putting the idea in Andrew Carnegie's head about a public library that's open to everyone regardless of your class. Because at this time, and this happened in the 1800s, class was very much a thing. I mean... Mm higher classes didn't mix with lower classes you didn't go to the same public places they very very much did not mingle in each other's lives so yeah it was it was just kind of about that and it was interesting to see how quick her thinking was in trying to figure out what she was supposed to do as a personal maid when she had no clue what that even was. And I, I liked the main character. She was a very interesting person. Um, the whole secret relationship between the master and the servant, it's kind of been done a few times. And I just read one not too long ago that was kind of like that. So the timing of this was a little off. Other than that, um, great writing. I would only give it a four because, like I said, timing was off. It just wasn't what I was in the mood for. But I think if you want to read something that has a little bit of history and a little bit of secret romance, mm -hmm. I would give it a read. I would recommend it to a friend. And that, again, was called Carnegie's Maid by Marie Benedict. Yay. I used to I used to skip class almost every day of my senior year to go to the Carnegie Library. Yeah, I looked up the library. This is one of those books that I stopped halfway through the it's book. It's gorgeous. And I started Wikipediaing 
everything to see what they were talking about. So yeah, it cool. was pretty interesting. Keith? Oops, sorry. I hit that with One my second. boob. <laughs> God, I wonder what that okay. clang sound was. <laughs> my boobs are kind of high today. High and tight. Uh, so the book I am reviewing this week is called Meant to be Mine by Hannah Orenstein. And this was sent to us uh, from Megan Rudloff over at Atria Publishing. So thank you to her. Uh, this, let me just start by saying I loved this book. It's given me a book hangover. I keep wanting somebody to read. It doesn't come out until the 7th. Uh, but I keep wanting somebody to read it so someone can talk to me about it. <sighs> so this book, um, our main character, her name is Edie, and she lives in New York, and she's this big-time personal stylist. So, like, people pay her tons of money to put them in awesome clothes. She has this very eccentric 90-year-old grandmother who her name is Gladys, but she makes everyone call her Gloria. And she doesn't want people to think she's old. So even her grandkids call her Gloria. Like there is no grandmother <laughs> here. So, and she's this hysterical woman. And she has this really amazing power of intuition, I guess you would say, because when she's young, she has this vision of a date. And that's when she meets her husband on that date. And from that point on, and they have this huge family, she has had a date for everyone in her family. And for everyone, they have met the love of their lives. And I mean, some people have been like, oh no, like that's too long to wait or whatever, and have tried other people. But no, it always ends up that, you know, like if they get married to somebody else, that doesn't work out. And the person they meet on the date that the grandmother has said that's their person that's their soulmate so Edie has grown up knowing that I and this is like thir easily 30 people that she's had dates for and Edie has a date and it happens to be uh, I think it's June 24th 2022 or something like that so on that day her twin sister is getting um is getting engaged and she doesn't know it. And her fiance is proposing. So everybody is flying up to kind of watch it happen. Uh, and um, of course, they met on the date that the grandmother, they also met on the date that the grandmother said that they would meet. So while Edie's on the plane, today is her day. And so she's in the airport looking at everybody like, no, no, they have a wedding band on. I mean, it's crazy. She's going through the airport being like, when am I going to meet him? And of course she sits down on her plane and it's this little puddle jumper plane. And the guy that sits next to her is this single cute guy. And he is this rock musician in an indie band. And then the story goes on from there. And the whole story about the dates, like, let me say that Edie is so staunchly a believer in this date thing. She was in madly in love with this man. She, against her better judgment, entered into a relationship and stayed with this guy for three years. Six months before the date, she decides she has to break up with him because she knows he's not the one. Oh. Even though she's madly in love with him, she would have married him. 
she, and she was insanely depressed and just going through mourning of the relationship, but she gives him up because she knows she's meeting her soulmate on a different day. Right. That's Martha's shaking her head. And that's how I felt reading it. So this book then goes on to basically talk about what happens with her adventures with this guy that she meets on the day. And it's almost, it's not like any other romantic comedy I've ever read. So you have to go into it kind of knowing that it's almost like a mystery because the whole time I, I'm wondering, is this really going to be the guy? I mean, is this, are they going to play this out with like the whole fate thing and everything else? Like, I don't know. Um, I'll tell you a bunch of things I really loved about it. Uh, our main character is Jewish and she's not super religious, but they celebrate all the Jewish holidays and they talk a lot about the traditions and customs um, that her family are, that are really important to her family based on on their Judaism. And it's really, really neat. I mean, it's just a neat thing to hear from a differing viewpoint. Like I, I've never known anyone that was Jewish. I didn't know about any of these traditions or customs and I'm sure a lot of people do, but I thought it was really cool to be like a fly on the wall and see what kind of things they do for Rosh Hashanah and that kind of thing. I thought that was really neat. Um, I really loved all the friendships that were in this book. I mean, the banter and things, they made me laugh out loud a lot. It really made me think, and I, I kind of want to have a book club and just talk with a ton of people about fate and destiny and like how much destiny factors into our lives, how much you think you would go with like a message from beyond. I mean, do you look for signs? I mean, because this is like a big thing in her life is that obviously she's not super sure about this guy. So the whole book, she's just, did I make a mistake not staying with the guy that I loved? I mean, like how much do you go on that? Because I mean, everybody in her family has met their, this, her grandmother has never been wrong. It's just a lot of pressure. And it's just interesting to see how that affects her life. The whole destiny, fate versus, I don't know what the opposite of that is. Um, you could say superstition versus rationality. Like just going about life. Huh? Yeah, I guess. It's just interesting to see how far she goes, how far other people go. I mean, because I will say that I have thought to myself, okay, I'll just look for a sign. But I don't know that I would put so much, I don't know that I would base my my soulmate on that. But then, I mean, is that any different than basing, I don't know, like what you wear that day? Or, I mean, it's, it's an interesting discussion and a thought process as to how much that fits into your life because we get that destiny, fate thing a lot from a lot of different angles in mm -hmm. life. Yeah, we do. Which is funny because we all think we're so rational. And I mean, even if you're not religious, I mean, people think about karma. I think about karma all the time. <laughs> yeah, I do too. My niece, Why are you laughing? My niece is named karma. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, I don't think about your niece, but you know. But yeah, I love this book. It was only one Megan Blush. So, I mean, it's a good book if you're not into like super smutty or spicy or whatever. I mean, there's definitely chemistry and there's definitely romance in it. And I gave it five stars. I I just thought it was really, really interesting. And it's like a mystery and romance. And to be fair, I read one of the books that Megan recommended one time. And let me tell you, that was like five Megan blushes. It was a really good book. (laughs) She only blushes in front of people. She has her own little life over there dreaming about those handsome boys. We know it, Megan. We know what you would do with them. She's a closet smut lover. She is. (laughs) But that again, uh, that book was called Meant to Be Mine by Hannah Orenstein. All right, Pat. Okay. So I have a book. Mine was a reread. This is a book that I read probably almost 20 years ago fell in love with, decided that it was the time had come to read it again. It is called The Shining, Shining Path by Carol Dale Short. Now, Martha, Carol Dale Short has a son named Donovan. Oh, my gosh. Donovan worked at the radio station. At the radio station bar. Martha and I both worked with this gentleman. And that's how I came to hear about the book. It's brilliant. It is absolutely fucking brilliant. Whoa. <laughs> When the uh-huh. English major says it's fucking brilliant, you yeah. set up and pay attention. That's awesome. It's, uh, it's in the realm, like I said, it's, it's magical realism, which means a pretty realistic world for the most part that has some element of magic or fantasy in it. Uh, Neil Gaiman is another one in the in the magical realism thing uh, genre. But this particular book is the story of Turner, who is a rock concert promoter a very successful rock concert promoter. He he sets up concerts for the Rolling Stones. He's wow. and this was this was written in 90, 1997. So the Stones were an even bigger deal back then, probably, mm-hmm. you know, now they get to they're, they're relaxing a little. Half of them are dead, <laughs> you know what? Relaxing a little. Relaxing underground. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. So uh, sorry. <laughs> In order not to give away spoilers, I'm going to tell things a little out of order from the way they happen in the book. But he was, he was in Vietnam, was a soldier in Vietnam, was wounded. And in the, for some reason that's never made entirely clear and you just kind of accept it. He was taken to a Tibetan, a, a Buddhist monastery in Tibet to recover from his wounds. And turns out it's a real monastery, the Monastery of Drepung. I, I had to go and look it up. It's one of the really big, really old established Tibetan monasteries. So he recovers. He goes back to the States. He ends up with this career. He's a surprise. He's a good old country boy from Alabama. <laughs> but he uh, develops his career as a rock promoter. And 20 years later, he gets a message from one of the monks that says, come to the monastery now. And he drops everything and goes. And it's at that point that they say, you know, we knew this about you before. There, that once a generation, once in every generation, there comes a big battle between the forces of good and evil. And the champion of the forces of good is known as the hope. And the monks say, Turner, you are the hope. There's a wonderful scene where they go down in the basement of the monastery, and I'm pretty sure this probably doesn't exist in real life, but uh, they have what they call the war room down there where they track 
this balance between good and evil. And it reminded me so much of one of Terry Pratchett's books. The one though I <laughs> you've got her attention. <laughs> the one where they where they go down and there are all these spinning spindles that keep time balanced. Oh yeah. I yeah. can't remember what it's called what the thingy is called, but yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's, it's you get the same feeling from this this basement where everything is tracked and 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 balanced and the, and so they send him back and they say okay you know you we don't know quite where when or where this is going to happen but you know you need to be prepared and as part of preparing for this he comes back to america with six buddhist monks and it's, he's been promoting the rolling stones now he is on tour with six buddhist monks presenting tibetan music and dance on like small stages he's they're going around to places you know with a small time booking agency and and half the time they get you know someone thought they'd booked someone else but these guys show up and so he's he's shepherding <laughs> these monks around who don't speak english real well and that from that comes a lot of the humor in the book just you know and and he gives them all you know he's he's just such a fun character like one of them the monks will have tibetan names one of them is called beva but he calls him Beaver, and so there's Beaver, Beaver, Beaver. One of one of the monks. There's a, there's one of them who's really old, and he is the only one of them who has developed the ability to transport him. So he can he can basically teleport. He can show up somewhere else. Only he's not real accurate with his location so he tends to end up not quite where he meant to be and the process of teleportation through buddhist thought is such that you end up wherever you are stark naked as well yay so, so yeah he's uh and his his name is Lo Wei, so of course he's called louis so he's always trying to find his <laughs> like where'd louis go oh no louis teleported off somewhere and he's like sure but as the book goes on, the confrontation between good and evil, and Turner has his own his own sorrow that he is born. He had a the love of his life, his high school girlfriend, before went off, and I don't want to give too much away, but she was injured in an accident, and he knows that she has become a paraplegic. She's in a wheelchair, and he feels that he was responsible in a roundabout way for that happening and hasn't spoken to her she wanted she told his uh he was raised by his grandparents and she's like said told them don't ever let him know where i am she just wants to and he so he's got this weight that he has to deal with so i mean it's a it's a road trip book you've got them these monks on the road doing these concerts and running into odd characters it's got a smidgen of romance in what happened in the story of him and his old girlfriend and what happens there. It's got a ton of philosophy. And I, the more I read it, the more I think, you know, if I were ever to be a religious person, Buddhism might be, might be what would appeal to me. It's, uh, it's just pretty cool. And, and it's funny and it's, it is absolutely delightful. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And that is the shining, shining path by Carol Dale Short. Well, it sounds fucking delightful, Pat. <laughs> I, I think you would really like it, It Martha. sounds like something. I know, it does like sound it. like a Martha kind it of book. It totally does. Could you imagine just sitting in your living room and all of a sudden Louie pops in and <laughs> all of a sudden you have a naked- I thought it was Beaver. 
that teleports. No, <laughs> no Louis the Louis. one okay. who teleports Louis, Louis and teleports. is naked, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, all you sudden have this, this old naked Tibetan monk, wrinkly old dude shows up naked in your. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, whoa well, i didn't sorry. see that coming wrong stop <laughs> but it's the the plays on words are great fun because they're they're acts their english such as they speak it is accented like there's one time when louis is missing and turner looks at the other monks because where's louis and the one the old serious monk says noel sings k-n-o-l-l-s-i-n-g-s and he goes Knowles, Knowles sings, Knowles sings. Finally, he goes, oh, Louis, yeah, he's he's in that mental state. He's he's in all things. Knoll things. Knoll sings. Wow. There are like these little word games. It's like translate the monk's English into real English. <laughs> well, we're headed to South Africa, friends. Oh. I decided to read a mystery. It's called Devil's Peak by Dion Meyer. Well, actually, it's a thriller. It's a South African thriller. It's one of those books that is very twisty. And it starts out, don't ask me to say the main character's name because it is a South African <laughs> name. And, and there's no way I'm getting okay. it right. So I'm just skipping that part. But he's an older gentleman who has adopted the child of his dead girlfriend, wife. I don't remember if it was a wife or girlfriend. He's adopted. But he's not related to her. No. Okay. Um, and he loves the child so much. I mean, he just, he, the child is the center of his life. He just loves him so much. And one day he's at the gas station and somebody shoots the child because, you know, he gets in the way. He gets in the way of something. So it wasn't intentional necessarily, but these two thugs mm -hmm. that shot him are real pieces of work real dickheads so they go to jail but then they escape and he is we we start to find out a little bit more about this guy we find out that he used to work for a drug dealer and he used to be you know he used to take care of things so he's got some skills <laughs> could do the whole monologue from taken right now but i won't yeah i know i know so um, then we're also getting the second part of the story that we're getting. There's a woman who has gone to a priest and is confessing all of these things to this priest. And she is a sex worker. And she talks about why. And you hear her story of how she had a child and decided to keep the child and raise the child. And she loves the child, of course. And so while this is going on, you're never really 100% sure if it's the first guy that's going around killing child predators or if it's the woman that's killing child predators. But that's what happens. The, he, he's killed by this. Um, the, the victims of this crime are people who've either escaped justice or for some reason got off of their crime. And... They are found stabbed to death with this specialized African spear, an as asagai or something like that, I think it's called. And then you also, the third character who's fairly prominent in the mix is a detective who is a blazing, raging alcoholic. And his wife basically 
kicks him out of the house because she spent 30 years or whatever with him and he is just she's had enough so she kicks him out of the house and this happens right at the time when this case comes up and so he's fighting those demons i mean he's so focused on trying to get the case solved that that it doesn't really take the same kind of i don't know like self-pity thing that you get from some of those stories addiction is tough i'm not saying that it's not i'm just saying that in this case it's it's more focused on him using the case to help him get through his issue. And like I said, it's a pretty twisty book. You're never 100% sure what the hell is going on. You know this woman is in there confessing something, but you're not quite sure what. And she, the, the author did a pretty good job of keeping me on my toes, which since I read a lot of thrillers is not an easy thing to do sometimes. I also enjoyed a lot of the references and things that went on during the book because it took, obviously takes place in a different country. So there are things that are different there. So it's a bit like, you know, traveling. There were a few things about it that, I mean, there, the attitudes there, the misogynistic type attitudes would, you know, leave a taste in my mouth occasionally. But, you know, I was able to like just chalk that up to a different culture. But but as a thriller goes, it was really pretty good. And it was the first in a series and the second in another. And I'm not sure exactly how that works. Because evidently he must have a recurring character. And if I tried to say the dude's name, you would... Hold on. Let me see if I can take a shot at it. I thought his name was Benny. Benny was... I the... can say Benny. Benny's the first... Cause he... Oh, you're talking about the other... Oh, okay. Yeah. Michaela and Pele. I think that's it because I listened to the audio. So anyway, if you're looking for something just a little different because it takes place in a different country, but really at the same time, really twisty and fun as a thriller, it was called Devil's Peak by Dion Meyer. That sounds pretty good, actually. It was actually very good. I like. I mean, aside from the child getting, I, well, I don't know if I can make it past the child getting shot. I know. And you give me a hard time about that was my just books. The first, that was just the first thing that happened. But at least the, the dog doesn't die, right? Yeah. No, no dogs <laughs> died in the filming of this. No, I, obviously it was really sad and the guy was really sad and it was horrible, but it's almost like you get so angry with him. You're so angry with and you're like, alongside yeah, you have to crush some skulls. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to kick the shit out of and kill everybody that's involved in this because this little boy was his whole life, you know, and you get that vengeance. I would totally nice. get some fucking vengeance if that was me. Oh, oh, I can't say that. No doubt. This might be used as a historical document later down the line. <laughs> I mean, scrub, scrub, allegedly. Scrub, scrub. <laughs> <laughs> so, allegedly. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. Again. I read that book, Endurance, that Pat reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. That gave me a book hangover. I had to listen That's to music a for story. a whole day. I saw you guys talking about it. That yeah. was cool. And you know the um, the uh, the captain of that ship? Sh- Shackleton? Shackleton. I was like, it starts with a sh. I was like, Shatwell. <laughs> um, he had, There's actually a, a biography about him at, at the uh, library. Maybe you should read that too. Well, I thought mm-hmm. about it, but I didn't want to get so 
submerged into the subject that I couldn't find my way back out. Yeah, that's a good point. So I picked back into like people facing the wrong way on your covers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So me and Martha may or may not have been cellmates at one time. Because you never know if we got arrested. <laughs> I never know. Maybe what you kind won't of get to go crap. to your thing. Maybe you'll still be in jail. I might be in jail. jail. You just never know. Yeah, do you Dude, have somebody you guys, that can This might be the out? last time you ever hear from me. Tune in next time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because you're going to be... Um, I might never come back. Because you're going to go I'm on I'm going a- on vacation on Wednesday. And I might decide to just ditch everything forever. Chuck it all and... You can Zoom from wherever you're at. I don't even want to hear it. There's no excuse. You know what? I cannot. There's no cell service and no Wi-Fi. Where are you going? Where are you going? Sounds like Minnesota. West Virginia. The Appalachians, baby. So basically you need banjo lessons is what you're saying. (laughs) I was thinking, is that where the blue women are? I might find them. I think it is. Because they sound awesome. Oh, my God. Next time we see Keith, she might be blue. <laughs> blue and paint. Playing Definitely be pregnant, relaxed. Pregnant with a blue baby. <laughs> I will not be pregnant. <laughs> not for lack of trying. <laughs> Have a good time with Mr. Keith. Thanks, I will. And happy anniversary. Thanks. And Even, even though you're ditching us for your and, husband. And next week. I'll be back from vacation. Magically. (laughs) Maybe. This time travel bullshit is for the birds. Seriously, let's never do it this far in advance again. We're never doing this again. (laughs) This has been. I never know what I'm putting on the website. I I never know what's happening. But you know, to to be fair, if we would have taken time off, then we would have had to come back and immediately done extra episodes. Yeah. Because of the live event and because you're going on vacation. I mean, yes, it was unavoidable. It It was unavoidable, but it did suck eggs. I think next time we'll Mm. just have to cram extra episodes in and forget trying to time travel that far in advance. Paradoxes do occur with the time travel. There are issues. (laughs) There are issues. I mean, you don't step on a butterfly. Did they or did they not get arrested? You will not know. I mean, think about it. You won't know for months. You'll be like, what the hell happened to the podcast? Well, <laughs> but by the time the podcast is on, you can you can call up the Oklahoma News Online, and if there's you know headlines that say book girls, <laughs> you know, arrested, do a Google search. <laughs> then it'll then it'll make be sure back when you're arrested, three. you give them a card. I know, and then, <laughs> and then you guys will have to do the show without us, and you'll see a picture of us. You'll see me missing a front tooth with a black eye. And a grin on my face, <laughs> holding my sign. <laughs> Bonnie will be, uh, she'll have a prison bitch. Yep. <laughs> Maybe a couple tattoos, you never know. Yep. Oh, Bonnie, you're going to have so much fun in prison. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, that's going to do it for Three, three book, book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.